Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Today, I continue a conversation with Sharif Abdullah in part two of his topic, Creating a World That Works for All. Dr. Abdullah is an author, a TED Talk speaker, consultant, and transformationist. Picking up from where we left off in part one, he first gives his idea of how to solve our problems at a higher level than where they were created rather than perpetuating them and making them bigger. Then he gives us a glimpse into the future, 100 years from now, at the fate of humanity. So we have to ask ourselves the biggest possible question. And there's so many people have talked about how the big business has bought Congress, bought and paid for, fine, let them have it. We're going to go and we're going to govern ourselves in a different way. We're going to create a whole new society. And that's what the founders did. If we really understand what the founders did in the 1770s, they brought in a whole different way of thinking. Up until that time, people had been ruled by kings, few queens. And the king tells you what to do and you do it happily, you do it grudgingly, or you get your head chopped off. Okay, so that, that was, those were pretty much your options. Our founder said, there's another way of doing this. We think we're smart enough to govern ourselves, that all of us together in this thing that we call a democracy can govern ourselves. When we look at all of the problems that are facing us, when we look at the 12 global challenges, we can see not just the problem, we can see the opportunity to do things in a fundamentally different way. But we can't do it as long as we're addressing our needs to the consciousness that created the problem in the first place. Mm. We either beg the people who created the problem to create the solution. Or now we're out on the streets demanding that the people who created the problem create the solution. I think there's another, another approach. We envision and then create the solution. It's sitting in front of us. It's waiting for us to act. For all the people who are fighting in downtown Portland, my city, like the, uh, literally a mile that way, all the people who are doing that, I invite them. There's a whole other conversation that we should be having. As long as we think the problem is is each other, we perpetuate the problem. We make the problem bigger. I wrote a book. I kind of wrote a book uh, a a few years ago. It's the first uh, book of speculative fiction, of science fiction. And I I kind of wrote it because it was actually a gift and I was in the Himalayas at the 15,000 foot level in a cave that was an abandoned Buddhist temple trying to breathe. And if you've never been at the 15,000 foot level, it's, it, oxygen is kind of sparse. Yes. 
And I was there to fast and meditate, and I got a revelation. And part of the revelation was this book. I thought it was interesting, like, like gee, there's, there's a whole book sitting there. Is this the Chronicles of the Upheavals? Yes. Okay. And, and so everything else I was writing just died. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make my fingers write anything else. I had, to finish, I had to write this book, or I should say the first third of the book. The book is set 100 years in our future. And 100 years in the future, humanity actually makes it. So you look at all the problems that are facing us right now, any one of them that can doom us. But we make it. And by making it, I mean no more wars, no more violence, no more killings, no more poverty, no more greed. We make it through all that. Wow. So folks 100 years from now said, wow, we want to, to chronicle how did we make it through all of the problems, through the upheavals? So they commission a history that starts 100 years in their past. So this book starts in 2025. And it follows a handful of young people over the course of the next 100 years. They are looking at from all the things that can happen and if anything that can, could happen happened. I mean, like, so, so all of the upheavals happened. Economic collapse, political collapse, social collapse, all of those things go, go completely haywire. But and this in is, that, that's not fiction. This is actually, <laughs> well, this, and this is a, this is a problem I have in terms of writing this because my, because reality is catching up really, really quick here. Oh. You know? And so, but through all of this, there's a group of people. Didn't you have to take out a couple of chapters because it had already come to pass? Or? I'm writing it and then I read something in the newspaper. It's like, oh, wait, that already happened. It just happened last week. So, so I have to take the chapter out talking about the future. It's like, oh, no, that, now, now I have to talk about that as the past. And so the challenge is how do we create what I would call the secular monastery. Remember in the Dark Ages, the monasteries in Europe were the things that kind of held the knowledge of the society together while everybody outside the monastery is kind of going crazy. So in the book, they're creating these things that are called awakening centers. How do you preserve a particular kind of consciousness in the face of this, the kind of, of dislocutions that we will be facing. So each one of the chapters in uh, Chronicles of the Upheavals tackles a challenge. How do you deal with providing fresh water in a situation where there are lots of corporations busily toxifying the water? How do you provide fuel how do you provide transportation? How do you provide these things in a society where all of these things have collapsed? In one of the chapters, there are these people who leave the cities and they're camping out in the state forest and they're, they're surviving by killing deers with assault rifles, okay? And 
um, burning them, uh, not even cooking them, not uh, again, just burn it enough to be able to eat it, etc. And some people from the Awakening Center come and say, you can't live like this, not just for you. You can't live like this for the deer in the forest. You don't know what you're doing. Come with us and we can help you to live a decent life. So the question is, who wants to, wants us to lead a decent life? How many of us want to give up, are willing to give up our temporary comforts in favor of this deeper fulfillment, this deep fulfillment with, uh, by being in touch with our neighbors, being in touch with nature, and being in touch with our own soul. So it's, it is a, it's an interesting exercise in thinking about our future. You know, we'll, we'll see kind of how that, well, I'm, I'm busily writing the sequel to the book right now, and I'm trying, I'm trying to get this <laughs> out before, before too much of our future catches up with us. Wow. Ah. Oh. That's exciting. I, you know, if all, with all you do, I just don't see how you fit so much into a day. Well, here's one way I do that. I don't watch television. Oh. Look at how much time gets, gets wasted, occupied by complete banality. Now, I, I, I like watching movies, and so I, I, I've got a pretty extensive movie collection, and that I was thinking the other day, I've, I've got uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and I've got Arrival, and I've got everything in between, okay? And so at, at one point in time in my life, I would come home from work. I would, I mean, literally hang my coat up. I'd walk over to the television set, and I'd turn it on. And then I kind of fish around the channels to find what's the least offensive thing that I can see. <laughs> and it's sitting there and it's rotting my brain. My brain cells are dying from what I'm seeing. I was telling someone the other day, I, I, was, I was at um, a coffee house and these two guys sat down at the table across from me and they started talking about Donald Trump and two hours later, they're still talking about Donald Trump. Oh, what an idiot he is. Oh, he did such and such the other day. Oh, this is, you know. And I said something to him. I said, I haven't the slightest idea what Donald Trump's voice sounds like because I spend zero time analyzing him. And they looked at me like, well, you're not informed in, in the world. like, I'm, I'm very informed in the world. I, when I see something happening in the news, I go over there and look myself. I don't wait for the news to tell me it. What I don't do is I don't waste my time on the kinds of things that the news media, the entertainment media, that, all the, that want to waste my time. I don't occupy myself that way. And that allows me to free up my time, free up my, not only free up my time, but free up my consciousness. So I talk about consciousness management. How do you manage your own consciousness? 
if you don't manage your consciousness, somebody else is going to manage it for you. And then you're going to get angry because they're managing your consciousness for you. <laughs> I think it's, it's a better idea for you to manage your own. So a couple of tips on consciousness management. Can you just give us like uh, bullet points of what you do or is that? Sure. I know it's a huge topic. Sure. Okay. Turn off your television, turn off your television, turn off your television. That's the <laughs> first three. If you forget the first one, do the other two. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It opens you up to exploring the emptiness the emptiness that can be within you. You can never fill it as long as you pretend that it's filled. So you go on a news diet. I've got one of these magic devices like everybody else. And before I put, I turn on anything that can take up my time, I set a timer. So Facebook, four minutes. After four minutes, the timer goes off and I turn Facebook off. If I, in four minutes, I can, I can get a general gist of what's going on. The other day, I was, uh, was going to look for something on Facebook. And so I set my four-minute timer. I misset the timer. I set it for an hour and four minutes. <laughs> 40 minutes later, I'm just I'm scrolling through the timeline. I'm scrolling through it's, it, it's, it's literally mind numbing. So if you want to, if you want to manage your own consciousness, determine how much of your consciousness you are going to give. Think about your consciousness. A minute of your consciousness is $10. Okay. So how much money are you going to give to Facebook? How much money are you going to give to your other social media? How much money are you going to give to your children how much money are you going to give to your neighbors I'm interrupting myself here i was doing some a a program with um some workers to get them to understand the size of the universe that they're in i asked them how many of you know your neighbors that it's amazing the number of folks they see the neighbor, they know that the house is occupied, they have no idea what the person's name is, they have no idea what their telephone number is. I said, if you saw somebody breaking into your neighbor's house, could you call your neighbor up and say, hey, I think somebody's breaking into your house? So after this, one of the people said, told me, he said, that after, after you know, my uh, training, he said, I went next door and knocked on the neighbor's house and said, hi, I'm your neighbor. My name is John. What's your name? He said, I scared him to death. <laughs> he said, he had, he had, uh, they had no idea. They had never spoken to me. They had been living next door to each other for 10 years. And he said, we exchanged our names, we exchanged our telephone numbers, and if you see something happening, I'll, I'll look out for you, you look out for me. He said, we'll never be best friends, we'll never hang out together, but the world just became a little bit more connected, a little bit more focused. I have um, to tell you a story about that. So I lived on a cul-de-sac in Orange County for a while. And um, 
I went around and got everyone's phone numbers and shared a, a list with all the neighbors in that cul-de-sac. And, um, <laughs> and my neighbor next to me was running a meth lab. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if you put that down on, on the, like, like you know. We didn't pharmacist. know. Right. <laughs> well, the police, he said, I got to move and you can't come in my house. And then the mm. police came and said, uh, do you have his phone number? I said, yeah. Why? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, number one, you have no idea who, who you are until you knock on the door. Um, <laughs> And, um, and you have no idea what you can do for and with each other until you knock on the door. Yeah. Daniel Kebis, um, who uh, was the former mayor of Missoula, Montana, and is a friend of mine. Um, that's his two claims to fame. Um, <laughs> he used talks about, he has a, a book called Community and the Politics of Place. And he talks about growing up in Eastern Montana where he said, we relied on our neighbors for our survival. We would not survive unless, if it weren't for our neighbors. And he said, we didn't like our neighbors. Didn't like them one bit. My father thought they were too crude. My mother didn't want us playing with the kids because she thought the kids were too bad. The guy drank, he beat his wife, etc. But when harvest time came, we needed each other for our survival. Now, I live in an apartment and I like all of my neighbors. And I'm not saying that just because they might be listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like all of my neighbors, but I don't need any of them. When one when, when uh, apartment comes vacant, somebody else moves in, I, and then I'm gonna like them. We have to develop a society where we need each other more than we need money that will become very evident when the money disappears. And when I say that people act like, oh, well, money can't disappear. It is a human creation, it can disappear. Everything is born, it matures, and it dies, including societies. We can envision the next society, envision the society that is to come. We can envision a world that is free from all of the crap that it's in right that, that that we're in right now i'll say one more thing about the chronicles of the upheavals chronicles made an assumption makes an assumption and the assumption is that half of humanity dies in the upheavals so somewhere around three or four billion human beings die as a consequence of all the things that are happening in the upheavals, all of the political, economic, social upheavals. Now, when I got that part, when I, when I, this is kind of like a gifted um, revelation. I would, I, I, I kind of bristled at that. It's like, I don't want half of humanity to die. I'm not, you know, we're going to save all of humanity. And then I, got, I, I began to see what happens from the inside when a caterpillar spins its chrysalis and turns to goo inside and out pops a butterfly. A 20-leg creature 
crawls into the chrysalis, a six-legged creature comes out. A creature that cannot fly, a very terrestrial creature goes into the chrysalis. This winged beauty comes out of the chrysalis. Now, where is the blueprint for the butterfly? Well, it's sitting inside that caterpillar while it's munching its way through your garden. At no point in time does the caterpillar want to stop. They got a good thing going. They got a very tasty garden. We're gonna, I'm going to eat the whole thing. And at a given point in time, it stops. It stops and the caterpillar attaches its butt to a twig and spins this chrysalis and turns the goo inside and then out comes the butterfly. So at the point where the caterpillar has attached its butt to the twig, <laughs> what's going on through its mind? Is it thinking, oh gee, I'm gonna become this beautiful butterfly, I'm going to be able to fly, I'm going to be the biggest and the prettiest butterfly. I don't think so. I think what's going through the caterpillar's mind is, how did my butt get on this twig? And I got to get off of this because I got to finish eating this garden. I think that it's that, that the caterpillar is, is in the middle of a process that it can't possibly understand. I think we're in the same boat right now. And all those warnings that I gave about, I saw what political collapse looks like, looked like in the USSR to Russia. I saw what economic collapse looked like when the entire economic system in Argentina disappeared overnight. I know what social collapse looks like when people were eating each other's dogs. People hear that, it's like, oh, that's really too bad for them because they never ever think that it could possibly happen to them. It could possibly happen in this country. And guess what? The caterpillar turns to complete goo. There's not a chunk left called the American caterpillar. It turns to complete goo. And those of us who are holding the blueprint for the butterfly get to try get to do the process of weaving this back together again weaving it together in a completely fundamentally new way and if we don't do that you know there are what's the plural of chrysalis chrysalis chrysali but there are those cocoons that fail that the caterpillar turns to goo but nothing comes out. It just dries up and blows away. I'm betting that we can pull this together. I'm betting that if, we, if, if folks were listening to me 30 or 40 years ago, we would be doing Caterpillar really well right now, and we wouldn't be looking at half of humanity dying. Okay, well, we didn't do that. We still have time to do it, to do something. We still have time to put the seeds of the, the butterfly together. Once it, the process starts, it's really, really quick. It doesn't take years for, for a butterfly to come out. It takes days 
for it to, to reweave itself. So, yes, yeah, so we don't have a whole lot of time to look at it, but we've got enough time and there'll be enough of us doing this. Okay, my, this will be my last metaphor of the day, and then I'm going to read a quote to you from Creating a World That Works for All. We have a, um, a situation like the Titanic. When the Titanic sank, it did so unevenly for the people who were on board the ship. Many of their decks were already underwater. People were floating around in these decks. And the folks up top, the folks in first class, they would notice that the tables were leaning a little bit, but they were like, oh, gee. And service is getting a little spotty. I, I need, I need a, a fresher you know, cup, of, cup of coffee here. When the reality hit everyone, they were not in a position for them to support each other. We're in that position right now. We've got a global view. We can see how our lives are affected as a whole. We can spend our time talking about you know, conspiracy theories and speculations and all like that. Or we can pull together and ask ourselves, what is it that needs to be done to create a new society right now. Now I said that was gonna be my last story, but I, this is gonna be my really, really last story. Then I'm gonna read, read a quote and then I got to run. As I mentioned, Václav Havel uh, was kind enough to provide the introduction to creating a world that works for all when he was the president of the Czech Republic. And he told me a story. And the story he told was that when he was a prisoner of the Soviet Union, when he was a, pri a political prisoner, pri imprisoned because he made a statement, and the statement was, we can run our country better than the Soviets can. That was it. That was enough to put him in prison. His job was to push the laundry, push the laundry carts around in the prison. So he's pushing the laundry carts around, and he sees another prisoner, somebody he didn't know was in that prison. So they had 10 minutes to talk to each other before the guards would break them up. So here they are in the middle of the Soviet prison. No idea when they're going to get out. 10 minutes to talk to a friend. What did they talk about? Well, we know what we would talk about. We would talk about how bad the food is, how brutal the guards are, how unfair it is that they're, that they're in, incarcerated, how much they miss their wives. These two men, for 10 minutes, talked about the nature of the society they would create when they got out of prison. <sighs> Years later, Havel was taken out of that prison, dusted off, they put a suit on him and made him the president of the country. They took the second guy, dusted him off, put a suit on him, and made him the foreign secretary. That's how quickly things can change. That's how profoundly things can change. But they can't change as long as I'm spending all my time protesting you or protesting them or protesting somebody. It's just like that 10 minutes 
was this transformational seed uh, in the chrysalis that turned it into a butterfly. Uh, right. from, that's... Yes, that's true. But also remember, there are lots and lots of those 10 minutes. Okay. Havel, at all times that he was in the prison, this is something else he said, at all times he was a prisoner of the Soviet Union. He never allowed himself to be a prisoner in his mind. He said every day he made his bed. Every day he shined his shoes. Every day he folded his clothes. Every day he was, every day that they kept his body locked up. They did not lock up his mind. And that's something that all of us need to remember that we are self-imprisoning our minds by watching the television, by paying attention to any of the people who are not leading us toward a world that works for all beings. As long as we're paying attention to that, we'll never be able to pay attention to what we need to be able to pay attention to. But I believe that we will pay attention to what we need to, to do. I believe that we have to have and that we will have hope. And that gets me to my quote that's from Creating a World That Works for All. And a quote is from a Brazilian theologian by the name of Ruben Alves. And I like this guy so much, I actually have two of his quotes in my book. I barely have two of, quote, two of my own quotes in my own book. <laughs> so he says, what is hope? It is the presentiment that imagination is more real and reality is less real than it looks. It is the hunch that the overwhelming brutality of facts that oppress and repress are not the last word. It is the suspicion that reality is more complex than realism wants us to believe. That the frontiers of the possible are not determined by the limits of the actual. And that in a miraculous and unexpected way, life is preparing the creative events which will open the way to freedom and resurrection. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the freedom and resurrection of the human spirit, and that's human spirit taking its rightful place in a world that is growing, expanding, evolve, and evolving a consciousness that will solve our problems and envision a world that works for all. And on that, I, I'm, I am, uh, that's my commitment. And I, I invite everyone to join me in uh, doing that. So you want to tell everyone how to, um, your website and how to reach you or contact yeah. you? My organization is called Commonway Institute. The website is www.commonway, all one word, all lowercase, .org. And there's lots of different things that you can get to, lots of different aspects of the philosophy of Commonway that you can deal with. I have various programs from various points in time. The books I mentioned today and some other ones that I've written from there. And you can sign up for our newsletter. And that way, uh, you can stay abreast of things as they come along. Great. Sharif, thank you very much for this very inspiring talk. You know, I just feel in my heart that my heart is expanding and that there's something I would call hope. Oh, 
Excellent. It, right. And, and hopefully it'll work on you. It'll, you'll think about it and then think about it and then say, what about this? And what about that? And then get the book and work on that. And then maybe take a workshop and then we'll do something together. We'll get this caterpillar turned all the way around. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. So you don't miss any of our shows, make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.